If you've been mooching about, sighing, someday my prince will come, well, lovely people, I have good news. Someday is today, because our new season opens with one of the princeliest of ballet princes, David Holberg, superstar dancer and now artistic director of Australian Ballet. I'm David Jays. And I'm excited, not just because of the whole Prince thing, but also because this is the first episode of the sixth season of Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. During the last season, we learned that we were the UK's number one dance podcast. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) We're just thrilled that people are joining us. Thank you. We have another elite set of inspiring conversations for you this season. And what better way to start than with the epitome of classical elegance, David Holberg. If you've seen him dance on stage or film, you'll know that David couldn't be more princelicious. But there's more to him, of course, than being heartfelt yet immaculate to Tchaikovsky. Read his memoir, A body of work, completely absorbing, big recommend. He writes feelingly about being a boy who dances and a dancer who yearns for perfection. Even at the height of a career as a principal at both American Ballet Theatre and, unheard of for an American at the Bolshoi Ballet, he is often beset by doubts. Now he has pivoted from dancer to director, leading the Australian Ballet. The company marks its 60th birthday with a season of celebrations, including a visit to my hometown in London. Happy birthday, Australian Ballet. And meeting David, that's just the icing on the cake. David Holberg, welcome to Why Dance Matters. You're about to bring Australian Ballet to London, to the Royal Opera House to celebrate the company's 60th birthday. How does it feel to lead your company on an international tour? Well, thank you for chatting as well. Great to be here. It's a little surreal. Also, it feels a little full circle. You know, my last shows as a professional dancer, really, were on the Royal Opera House stage right before COVID when I was principal guest artist at Royal Ballet. And to be the first international tour that we take as I'm director here to the Royal Opera House, it's a little life coming full circle post COVID and post all that stuff that we went through. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Because, I mean, what a weird time to take a new job just as the world shuts down. That must have been very peculiar. I remember very clearly, you know, Natasha Osipova and I were scheduled to dance Swan Lake at the Royal. Everything was up in the air about what was shutting down and what wasn't. And then, lo and behold, everything shut down and I was on a plane to Australia before the borders closed to get my feet wet as the new director here. And listen, like everything happens the way it should. I didn't have this big farewell tour, farewell shows. I sort of got into the job here 
And lo and behold, in three weeks' time, we're headed back to London. So it feels like a good return. David, I love your autobiography, your body of work. It's such a a candid and no-holds-barred view of what it is to have a career at the lonely height, often, of classical ballet. There's a moment which I really loved, which is when you're made a principal at American Ballet Theatre and you go to phone your quite exacting former teacher who doesn't say, (laughs) congratulations, you deserve it, or yes, enjoy this moment, it's marvellous. What he says is, now is when the real work starts. And I laugh because that just felt like the most ballet thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing is ever good enough. There is always another place to go. Is it hard to hold on to the joy sometimes in dancing ballet? Yes. I mean, I guess joy, enjoyment, similar words or feelings. For me, (laughs) I think it's easier said in retrospect, but I I guess I wish I would have enjoyed it more. I was never satisfied, never satisfied. It was never good enough. And I know what my teacher meant when I was promoted to principal. Before you're a principal, you're aspiring to be a principal, to have that title. So when you get that title, you are the one to drive your own cart. And that's what he meant. He said, now you are the one that has to self-motivate. You are the one that has to drive it. And through the years after being promoted to principal, honestly, I went in and out of that self-motivation. Sometimes I was just going 160 miles an hour, super motivated, super focused. And then at other stages, I just was looking at the clock, waiting for a rehearsal to finish so I could just head to dinner with friends. It went in and out. And what got you back to that place of focus and motivation when you had slipped out? It was typically external inspiration. I really found a lot of enjoyment in experiencing other forms of dance and other forms of art. I was really stimulated by new experience. And that sort of propelled me throughout my entire career So when I would go to Marinsky Theater or when I would go to the Royal Ballet or La Scala or Paris Opera or even a gala somewhere, I would become re-inspired because of the environment, because of the pressure, because of the people I danced with, because of the people I watched dance. And so for me, it was always those new experiences that I craved that I knew when I started to guest more and more and spend less time at ABT, I knew that's what I needed as an artist. I needed to be satiated in that way. And when you started dancing at the very beginning, was it about the joy then? What was the what was the lure for you when you started? The allure was Fred Astaire <laughs> to, oh, to begin. Perfect. It was honestly all like sheer enjoyment, fun, passion. And that's when I was doing tap and jazz and competitions and all that stuff. And then when I really found the passion for classical ballet. It was fun, yes, but what I loved even more was that work ethic, the hard work, the dedication, the focus, the sweat. I craved that kind of focused atmosphere for execution of the art form. And you do always seem to enjoy being pushed to your limits, being made to go further than you thought was at all possible. 
Yes. I mean, much to my detriment, of course. <laughs> you know, I famously had a, an injury that lasted two and a half years. I abused my body and my instrument. I didn't listen to it. I learned the hard way. But again, everything is the way it should be. And I, I don't look back ever in regret of that journey or that path I went down because honestly, I'm artistic director of this company because of that formative time of injury and rehabilitation. Being a dancing boy isn't always easy. And in the book, you describe taunting, bullying. It often sounds pretty grim and odd, I suppose, because doing ballet was a refuge perhaps from some of that, but also the thing that marked you out as different. I wonder how you feel about that now. Well, first off, I have a ton of time and compassion and empathy for boys that are being bullied for doing or acting or being the way they are naturally. And this goes beyond wanting to dance. This goes to who someone is. And so because I, when I was young, I just was being me. And I was, I was called all of the names in the book. And I didn't understand like what I was doing wrong. And then I found dancing and then I fell in love with doing it. And I didn't understand what was so weird about it or why people didn't think I should be doing this. So my empathy for whoever bullied me or taunted me when I was a kid has changed. Forgiveness is really important. But also throughout my career, I've had young guys dancing and their parents reach out to me and my parents seeking advice, wanting to just get some advice about getting through the hardships of growing up and being bullied. So it was very scarring, but obviously it really taught me some great lessons. And what do you and your parents say when people reach out to you? Well, first off, there's just, as I said, there's a ton of sympathy and also just guidance. I typically like to say, I know this is hard. There's no doubting that this moment is hard, that you want to be accepted by your peers, that words hurt, but you will find a moment where you rise above it. You will get past this. You will succeed. Just keep fighting the fight that you think is worth fighting. Because as bad as it got in school for me, I never once questioned whether I should continue to dance or not. That was my refuge. That was what I was doing. It was just a matter of weathering the storm at that stage. And then that did take you, we're whizzing forward a bit, to the fantastic career you've had as a principal dancer. You were famously princely. <laughs> it was part of your armoury. But I'm wondering, how easy is it to channel your inner ballet prince? And were those the roles that felt closest to you? I think in terms of like the aesthetics of classical ballet and the expectations of what a male dancer is in certain roles. I think that came naturally to me to a certain degree in terms of playing, you know, the prince in Sleeping Beauty and, and Nutcracker and Swan Lake. And I felt as my career went on and the coaching that I received in those roles, I felt a lot of pride. It was an honor to interpret these roles. I was very fulfilled 
to dance the princes in these amazing classics in the companies that I was fortunate to dance in. But there's another side of me as an artist that I think if I have any regrets, it's that I didn't tap into my true artistic hunger and sensibility and taste in terms of work and choreographers and artists and and exploration that is the absolute opposite of being Prince. Yes, there were all these shows around the world, like dancing Swan Lake, you know, in great theaters, but there's also a side of me that just was never really tapped into that I've let go of. You know, I'm now purposeful in a different way. There's two sides to my artistic hunger. I guess if you are going to be a ballet prince, you might as well be a ballet prince at the Bolshoi Ballet. And that is something that you did, dancing Swan Lake on the stage where it premiered, which is quite a goosebump sort of a moment. And you were famously, as well as dancing with American Ballet Theatre, you were also a principal at the Bolshoi, which was unheard of for an American dancer. You moved to Moscow, you left New York, a place where you didn't, at least at first, speak the language, you didn't really know people, very much thrown on your own resources. What do you learn about yourself in a situation like that? Oh, how you survive. (laughs) (laughs) How you get through it, how you persevere, what makes you richer. You know, I, I went to the Paris Opera Ballet School when I was 17 and spent a really, really hard year at the school kids were not nice to me. I was pushed in the back of the studio and it was one of the most formative years of my life. I would not take that experience back. It made me who I was. It made me persevere. It made me focus even more. And same in Moscow. You know, Moscow is not a forgiving city. It can be very unfriendly. And, you know, when I went to Bolshoi, there was a ton of pressure. I think back on the pressure I was under, you know, when the news broke and it was all over the news. And I I went to Moscow to dance the opening of the reconstruction with Svetlana and all this stuff. And the pressure was so high and it just made me hone in on how can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? You know, this is not going to be easy, but it's going to be so formative. And that's what it was. It was so rewarding in that sense. And you were also an out gay man in Russia. And now, of course, since you've left, there's been a a really overt pushback on LGBTQ rights. But even then, I'm guessing it was quite a conservative culture. It was a conservative environment, but I will say in the environs of Bolshevik theatre, I was very much myself. The dancers, the administration, they really just opened their arms to my being there. And that sometimes surprises people because they would think that I would go to Moscow and no one would be friendly and no one would talk to me. And that was the complete opposite. Everyone knew I was gay at Bolshoi Theater and I didn't hide a, a closeted life in Moscow. But again, in Moscow, you're not as public in your affection. And it is a very different society to live in as a gay man, which was at times very repressive, but not where I worked and not the friends that I had. That was very open, very accepting. Since you've left Moscow, and of course since the invasion of Ukraine, the Bolshoi, like wider Russia, has very much closed its doors to the world. 
Do you still hear from ex-colleagues? What is it like being there for them? Well, I can't speak for them per se. I'm not going to presume to know what their experience is, but I do still speak with colleagues there. I have very dear friends still that still live in the country. I have dear friends that have left the country because of the conflict. But, you know, Bolshoi, as we all know, is carrying on. But so are some of the great dancers that have left the country, Inga Olga Smirnova obviously being one of them. are now on the other side of the world (laughs) in Australia and at the head of a company which especially in an anniversary year you think about a company's identity you really brilliantly programmed a piece called identity which is about the company also about what it is to be Australian after a few years there how do you define that core identity I mean 60 years is a great achievement, but it's also just an absolute brief moment in the trajectory of some other companies. But there's such a rich history in 60 years of the Australian ballet. Nureyev came and Fontaine came. and A lot of our roots here are from the Royal Ballet. You know, apart from trying to be a company like the Royal Ballet or trying to be something that is maybe so famous somewhere else, what's so beautiful about this company is it's Australianness, and I am not Australian, which I think honestly is a really great thing for me and for the company because I'm reading the Australian room even more than I would have if I were Australian because that's one of the things I was first attracted to with this company is their warmth, is their humanness. That's what I feel it makes them so unique. And when you watch the Australian Valley perform, Yes, you're seeing dancers of this fabulous caliber, but you're also seeing a human on stage. You're seeing a warmth on stage. I think that really sets us apart from other companies that maybe show the aesthetic ideal as their forte or their depth of choreographic repertoire of who came to the house, as an example. But here with this company, it's really about that kind of like Australian warmth that you see when you talk to Australians, you know, in public, but also when you see the, the dancers here perform. You were talking before about how when you become a principal dancer, you have to be properly responsible for yourself. As an artistic director, you're not just responsible for yourself, but for, I've got no idea how many people are in the company, a hundred more. Suddenly you have a very different relationship to the company you're in. Honestly, when you become an artistic director, it is not about you anymore. I wholeheartedly believe that. And I absolutely welcome that. I think, you know, I had 20 years where I worried about my body, my performances, my rehearsals, my costume. It was all about me. And as a dancer, it has to be. You bring people along with you, your partners and your your company and whatever. But it's a very, very selfish career. As a director... It's not about you anymore. You know, we have 77 dancers here. I have 77 dancers who have ambitions and I'm developing them individually and as a group. I'm bringing this organization forward 
with new risks, adhering to their beautiful 60-year traditions. It's so much about something other than you, which truth be told is so refreshing. It's so nice to me not have to worry about whether my calf is not feeling good for the day or for the show. It's just about something completely different. And there must be such a pleasure in nurturing people, bringing careers forward, programming, all of that creative stuff must be delightful. On the other hand, being an artistic director is also about the not fun stuff. And currently, people will know Australian ballet's dancers have been in dispute about pay. They've taken industrial action, which is fairly rare in the world of dance. It must be those moments that remind you that suddenly you're not us, you're them, you're the management now. How easy has it been to kind of make that emotional transition? That's probably been the hardest transition, to be honest, because when I came to dance with this company as a guest artist, and when I spent over a year rehabbing my foot with the team here, I got to know the dancers and I danced with them. I partnered them. I partied with them. I got drunk with them. And now I don't do that. I lead them. I guide them. I nurture them. I develop them. And so that's been the biggest kind of transition is what happens when you walk into the room. It's not as casual anymore. I'm their director and I know what it has felt like. And I know what happens when I walk into the room. And that's just been the biggest adjustment because I'm not hungry for that side of responsibility, you know, that kind of the power that maybe a director has, it makes me quite uncomfortable, but I have to accept it. I am where I am. I'm leading this company. I'm not partying with them anymore. I'm not one of them anymore, but it's really important to keep a balance of like remembering what it feels like to dance the performances, to feel the stress, to prepare but then as well to know that I'm on the other side and I'm guiding them, I'm nurturing them. And the flip side of that, I guess, is that the dancers know that any situation that they're in, anything they're dealing with, you have probably faced as well at various points during your career. And maybe that's a helpful thing. I think it is because I've had so many experiences in other companies. I know when things really work and when things really aren't working or when things are really hard. And so sometimes that experience is great because it informs how I nurture the dancers or how I lead this company. But on the other hand, sometimes it's I can kind of draw on too many experiences in a way. But, you know, it's all food for how I'm guiding the company, I think. And you're bringing to London not only a gala which offers snippets of the entire repertoire, really, of Australian ballet, from the most classical classics to very contemporary works, but you're also bringing Balanchine's Jewels, which is a really exacting three-faceted ballet, one that you've danced often, How easy is it to help the dancers make it their own so that it's Australian ballet's jewels rather than a 
facsimile of a New York City ballet production? I think what's important is how it's taught and coached. And, you know, we had Sandra Jennings here teaching all of the jewels out. And so what Sandy did is she gave the dancers the license to interpret and she gave cues about what Balanchine said with certain, you know, movements or things like that. So I think what's really important is just finding the strengths and the individuality in each dancer in the company, there isn't that comparison of like, oh, we're trying to do it like so-and-so, or it needs to look like this in order for people to accept it. I'm always looking at what makes us an individual company, what makes us a unique company around the world, and not just a carbon copy of each other. You did appear yourself with the company last year in Kunstkammer, very challenging contemporary work are you still a dancer are you still a professional are we going to see you on stage again um that would at this stage be a no (laughs) i think those days are finished i really loved the time i had i only returned in kunstkammer because sol leon talked me into it and it was a great (laughs) a great (laughs) a great vehicle to share with the dancers but there's no plan to come back in other repertoire. My devotion is to this position I have right now. And it was part of the decision I made when I accepted, when I was offered the job and I accepted it. I thought it's time, time to move on. I felt that as a performer, I felt that in my last couple of shows as a dancer at Royal Ballet, it was time. David, it has been such a pleasure, but I will now let you go back and do director type things. Before we do that, one final question, which is, David, why does dance matter to you? Oh, God. You know, I've, I've always said it's a force stronger than me. When I first had the spark when I was nine years old, there was never a question of why it mattered. It was my, and still is, my reason of existing. It's vital. And so it's never a question of like, you know, does this matter or does this not matter? When people say it's just ballet or relax, it's just ballet or you're not curing cancer. And you're right, I'm not. And that line of work is vital but so is dance. And it's not just ballet. It is the lifeblood of of me, of so many people. So that doesn't really answer your question, but (laughs) it's a force stronger than me. I think it does. I think that's a beautiful place to land. So, David, it's been an absolute joy, a real privilege. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm always grateful for our guests' candour, their generosity with honesty. It's not something I take for granted. David speaks from the other side of the world, but from the heart, and it's enlightening to hear him. 
The Australian Ballet are in London from the 2nd to the 6th of August and details are in our show notes, where you'll also find links to the RAD's work and socials. Thank you for joining our new season and please do subscribe and like or review the podcast so that more people can find Why Dance Matters. Our guest today was David Holberg. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Neve Carey Furness, Keisha Dodd and Katie Hagen and our artwork is by Bex Glendening. And ready for another season of peerless companionship and wondering whether our guests have pets, that's our producer Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.